Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be starting on page 76 of the Four Crafts. We're in the section called Dr. Craft, and the subsection is Lawyers, Lawyer Craft in the New Testament. When the law, or the Torah, is mentioned in the New Testament, it is usually referring to the Pentateuch, or the Torah, or the five books of Moses, and the commandments and gospel that are taught within its pages. Jesus spoke against the scribal law, or man's law, that would cause men to depart from God's law, and what those laws were, where they would add things to protect the law. They'd put a hedge around the law so that you couldn't actually ever get... If you broke these things that were man-made, then you wouldn't get to the point where you could break the things that were God's laws. But uh, that's a very simplistic version of the God's laws that that were interjected into the culture of the Israelite people. Um, I'm going off on a little tangent here, but King Josiah was a young man when he became king of Israel. And for some reason that I'm not completely aware of, they did not have the book of the law of the Lord among them. Now, the school of the prophets, which consisted of of prophets like Lehi and Jeremiah and others, they had the pure law of the Lord that they had kept within the school of the prophets, but they were separate from the temple complex, and they were separate from the high priests of Israel, and they were separate from King Josiah. So King Josiah decides, somebody, somebody, one of the servants of the high priest uncovered or found a secret hiding place where the scrolls of the book of the law of the Lord were in the temple complex and they uh, convened a council. King Josiah headed it and they were going to bring forth this great restoration. We're going to start living God's laws now, but the problem is they did not bring forth the, the law of the Lord or the Torah in in the simplicity that it was given to Moses. They added many vain and foolish things to the Torah, many vain and foolish things. So the rabbis today will say that there are 613 laws in the Torah. And what Torah means in Hebrew is the instructions. So these are the instructions from God, the law of God. We call it the law in the New Testament, but 
it's the Torah. Anyway, so um, so the School of the Prophets and the members therein, they had a problem with King Josiah just adding all of these vain and foolish laws into Torah and saying this is you know this is what we found in the temple this is God's laws we need to take care of it and Lehi in the book of Lehi even states that he I can't remember if it was Lehi or if it was God speaking to Lehi but it was basically the gravest thing that the Israelites had done to this point where they added many things to God's laws and um, and perverted the law. But then also we see where in later times they would like add all of these man-made laws around God's law and then they would judge people unrighteously based on man-made laws. Anyway, continuing on with the reading. As the basis for ancient Israelite law, the Ten Commandments were probably engraven on the tablets of the Ark of the Covenant. See Exodus chapter tw- uh, 24, verse 12. In the meridian of time, Jesus still acknowledged them as the basis of God's laws. He referred to them several times and still supported them as the law to Israel. Well, he did support those laws which were true laws. But I think Jesus knew the difference and he wanted, I think he wanted to, he would have liked to correct them, but they just, they weren't going to have it. They wouldn't listen. So he worked within the framework of the time of the, that he lived to help the Israelites of his day to keep God's true laws and uh, he never added to or took away from God's true laws but the Jews had already added many things to it uh, both with the rabbinical stuff and then with the, uh, the high council of King Josiah by the way God did not allow King Josiah to live for very long uh, King Nebo Um, was the king over Egypt and he thrust a spear into the air which pierced King um, Josiah right in between the the breastplate, the shoulder plate and the helmet. It went in right into his neck and pierced his heart and killed him dead. And uh, that was like one in a million shot. But that, that, um, that spear pierced him in the heart from the neck down. Anyway, um, let's see here. He referred to them several times and still supported them as law to Israel. In fact, he quoted Deuteronomy more than any other book of the Bible. See, Jesus didn't have the New Testament. Like, none of that existed when Jesus was alive. He taught from the Tanakh, which is the Torah, the Ketuvim, and the Nevi'im, or the the Law of God in the first five books, the Prophets, and then um, 
the writings like the poetry and uh, those type of things like the Song of Solomon, the Psalms, the Proverbs. That's all they had. And um, they had many more books. I mean, we know they had many more books because we have uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls and we have an idea of of what books were part of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, but in our modern Bibles, we don't have so much as they had. But these are the things that Jesus quoted from, were the things that he uh, learned as a child. And, uh, you know, even at age 12, he had a deep understanding of the true law of God and was able to lecture and to teach God's law at the age of 12 in the temple. You know, and he had that at an early age and he continued to lo- learn and grow in wisdom throughout his life. History has shown that eventually man's law replaced and superseded God's law. The men who promoted this change were those who were first instructed in the law of God, but soon apostatized. Legality became a business and industry, and soon there was a multitude of lawyers contending with each other in this uh, profitable business. The comparatively few laws of God were set aside for the abundance of man's laws, and lawyer craft thrived and flourished. The four Gospels mention that Jesus frequently met with unsympathetic lawyers who were continually trying to trap him. They, they joined with the Pharisees in opposition to both Jesus and John the Baptist, for the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him, and that's in Luke chapter 7, verse 30. See, somebody who knows too much can't be taught, and Joseph Smith taught this as well. Like, they think they know so much, and they've got so much wisdom and so much knowledge, and they puff themselves up with pride and arrogance that when God sends a true servant to correct them, they won't listen. And that's the way it is in every age of the world. When God has sent a true prophet, um, the only one I could think of, and there's probably others, that, that didn't act like this was uh, Jonah going to Nineveh. And they repented in sackcloth and ashes. But, but God... Jehovah our Elohim speaks to Jonah because Jonah's kind of upset about the whole thing. And he's like, there's so many people down there in that city who don't even know their right from their left. They don't even know how to read. These people are ignorant people, but they were wicked. And they knew what they were doing was wrong. And they repented. But they weren't great big old elders who thought that they knew too much. And could not be taught, so they repented. But then you have Jesus who goes like Jonah to these other people 
and they won't hear him because they knew too much. They were smarter than him and they were better than him and they kept the man-made rules and they just were arrogant and prideful and they wouldn't listen. And I find this myself among the Latter-day Saints. There's all of these people that they're so prideful in their knowledge and their wisdom. Oh, they know this and oh, they know that, but they can never be taught because they're going to read a book, you know. But, like, I think it's good on them that they're able to study as much as they do, even though it's sad that they become very prideful about their knowledge because the majority of the Latter-day Saint people, like as a gospel doctrine teacher in different places in the United States, it was rare to find somebody who was actually prepared for the lessons. But looking back on it, too, I think it was kind of boring. You know, I took two semesters on the book of Ephesians alone. They were online semesters. It was free. I loved them. I, In my studies, I've, I've gone in depth into many different things. And... It took two semesters to get through the book of Ephesians. And my problem was when I was a gospel doctrine teacher, we went to the book of Ephesians once every four years. We cherry-picked a few things out of it, and then we would move on and never go back to it for four more years. There was no deep dives into anything. When we did section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants, like... If people brought up these hard questions, uh, we would ignore them and move on. And it, it instructed us in the manual to do that. It, it would say in the front of the book, in the, the, uh, the teacher's um, guide, you know, hey, uh, stick to the manual, stick to what we've written. Don't let things go off on tangents. You know, so they would get to these hard sections in Jacob or in uh, DNC section 132 or wherever it was at. And they would, uh, they would cherry pick things out of it. And if somebody brought something else up, then you were supposed to shut them down. So it was just basically cookie cutter lessons all the time and if you went too far off as an instructor you'd get in trouble for of course it depended on the stake president it depended on the bishop or the branch president um it depended on if people wanted to complain about you maybe not being perfect in following the letter of the manual <laughs> But when people are too learned or they think they're smart or they think they're smarter than you, then even if God sends a true servant, the more righteous will not listen to him. And I believe that in Isaiah chapter 49, when it's talking about the Davidic servant who is hidden in the palm of God's hands and is like a quiver, a, a shaft in the quiver of God 
like and he he laments because the people will not listen to him they won't hear him they they mock him uh they reject him and the servant is basically like you know lamenting to god about how much he's tried to do what god has asked him to do with the message that God has given him and they won't listen and and eventually it says that God gives him other people gives him another people because the Davidic servant is sent to the Latter Day Saints and they will not hear him they reject him and God God opens up the eyes of the Gentiles who do accept him or the Israelites who do accept him. And I'm not exactly sure how all of that works, but it's like Jesus first went to the Jews. Messiah ben Judah, Jesus, went to the Jews first, and then the gospel went out to the Gentiles. Messiah ben Joseph, or the Davidic servant, he sent to the people of Ephraim first. And when they reject him, same as the Jews rejected their Messiah, then God will give him another people. The difference between Jesus and Messiah ben Joseph, Jesus being Messiah ben Judah, is that Messiah ben Joseph, he doesn't die at the end of his um, time he actually has time to gather people after the destruction of Babylon the Great where Jesus did not he did gather partly but the work really opened up after his death and I believe it will be different with Messiah ben Joseph that it'll be the death of Babylon the Great and people knowing that that this Messiah ben Joseph who is speaking to you was warning about these things that were going to happen for years and years and years and that when they do happen those people will say well did not this anointed one of the house of Ephraim speak to us and tell us these things and warn us to repent and did not he say many times that God has told him to gather to certain places and that people need to come out of the populated areas and the cities did not he warn for many years that these things were going to happen and I don't know what the time frames are but you know Isaiah warned the people of Israel but the things that a majority of the things that he spoke about didn't even happen in his lifetime now the things that are spoken by the last prophet will happen within his many of the things will happen within his lifetime and eventually he will be put to death and he will lay in the street for three three and a half days with his with his witness and he will be raised again with his witness 
who I personally believe the two witnesses are a husband and wife pair. I know that that's uh, unorthodox, and I know that that's something that most people don't think about. They think, oh, it's all these other people. But as I was driving last week, as I was driving my semi-truck throughout the night, I was just driving along, and it just hit me. And the words came into my mind. The two witnesses don't have to be men. It's something to the effect of it never said the two witnesses were men. And then immediately I thought of my wife. How I might be a witness of the father and the son physically in the flesh. And I have uh, had the Father lay his hands physically upon my head. And that may not have happened for my wife, but... She has seen Jesus. She has seen Joseph Smith. She has seen the miracles that God has allowed me to do. She has been there from the time that, um, you know, 2012, and then God didn't reveal to me who I was completely until January of 2013, and she's been through all of it. She's seen it firsthand, and she is a witness. And I don't know. if she'll be the other witness who dies in the street. But I can guarantee you this. None of this is going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. It's just not. It's not going to happen where you think it's going to happen, and it's not going to happen when you think it's going to happen, and the people involved are not going to be who you think they are going to be. No matter how adamant you are, And how much you believe, it's not going to happen the way you think it is. God's God's prophecy and revelation rarely do. I mean, we can look back and say, oh, of course, he said this and then that happened. Yeah, we're looking back on it. The people who heard it before the revelation and prophecy was fulfilled, they didn't see what you see. They speculated, and they were wrong. You know, and people get prideful about that, and it's just, it's foolish to me. It it just feels foolish to me. Anyway, so, uh, history has shown us that eventually man's laws replace and supersede God's laws. The men who promoted this change were those who were first instructed in the law of God, but soon apostatized. Legality became a business and industry. My son just woke up. Hi, Arius. Are you still sleepy? He's my three-year-old. All right, let's see here. 
Legality became a business and industry, and soon there was a multitude of lawyers contending with each other in this profitable business. The comparatively few laws of God were set aside for the abundance of man's laws, and lawyercraft thrives and flourishes. The four Gospels mention that Jesus frequently met with unsympathetic lawyers who were continually trying to trap him. They joined with the Pharisees in opposition to both Jesus and John the Baptist, for the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. And that's Luke 7, verse 30. And we already talked about this, so I'll continue on. Jesus rebuked the lawyers many times because they put unbearable burdens upon man, refused to help people in need, and actually hindered those who were seeking for the truth. On one occasion, quote, Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, Thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye are laid with men, you have laid men with, with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Luke chapter 11, verse 45 and uh, through 47. So basically he's saying, you know, like, and it's just the way it is. Like, every single one of the prophets gets killed off by the generation that they go to. But then later on, when people realize, oh, wow, these guys really were prophets, or they, like, build the sepulchers or the graves of the prophets, and they give them these beautiful places, and people go and pay homage to them. Blessed be Jeremiah, and blessed be uh, Isaiah, and blessed be Ezekiel, and whatever. You know, but they're the, the descendants of the people who killed those prophets, because very rarely do prophets get accepted in their own time. And very, very rarely does that happen by people who know too much. Like we were talking about Jonah going to Nineveh and they were all a bunch of ignoramuses. And, and Jonah called them to repentance and they believed Jonah and they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Versus Jesus going to these people in in Israel or Judea and they wouldn't hear him it was only those who were kind of a little bit ignorant that actually heard but the righteous Jews the ones that always went to the synagogue and who never had any problems they wouldn't hear Jesus as much as those other people but then the most righteous they rejected Jesus more than anyone else. And just a little thing for all of my uh, Jewish friends who may have been inspired to hear these words. God is the same. Hashem is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? And the prophet Amos says, 
Surely the God, our Lord God, or Jehovah our Elohim, will do nothing except for he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And he also says, it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word be established. Now, with all of this in mind, let me ask you a question. If before King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and sacked it and destroyed the temple, God sent many prophets throughout the land to warn the people to repent, and nobody would listen to them. Which is understandable because very few listen to the prophets when they're sent. But you recognize that Jeremiah and others, or Yahu and others, were, were true prophets who were trying to tell the people to repent. And what they said was going to happen did happen. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, the people were led off into captivity for 70 years. But God sent his warning and his message to his prophets. Verily, I say unto thee, it is by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every word is established and surely the Lord God or Jehovah our Elohim will do nothing except for who reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And if God is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he did that just before the destruction of the second temple, and you rejected the prophets that came, unless you're messianic, then congratulations. Yochanan ben Zachariah, who we call John the Baptist, and Yeshua ben Yosef. I mean, he was the stepson of Yosef, Joseph, but the one who we call Jesus the Anointed, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the Mashiach. These two prophets came to warn the people to repent to turn people back to true Torah worship and true worship of God. To turn ba people back to Hashem, to Yehovah our Elohim. And the Jews wouldn't listen. And Jesus even warned them that, that the temple would be destroyed. And he warned them that when you see these things flee, and he didn't know when it was going to happen, but he knew it was going to happen. He said, pray that it come not in the winter time. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that it don't happen on the Sabbath. Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were sent from God. They were true prophets and they were exactly who they proclaimed to be. And now we have the end time coming in, into play. 
for the first time in 2,000 years, we have five red heifers. You have to have the red heifer to do the sacrifices to start building the temple. There is a way it has to be done, and for thousands of years, God has kept an unblemished, unblemished red heifer from being found by the Jews so they can go back and do what they need to do. The temple complex is ready to be built. All of the temple furniture is ready to go. It's already been done. They know where the Ark of the Covenant is, which I think is deceptive because, yeah, they might know where it is, but nobody can touch it. Everyone who has tried has died because they do not have authority to to touch the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe they're going to build the temple over where the Ark was, which is in Jeremiah's Grotto, which is under where the cross of Calvary was. Not, it was it not, um, it was not completely under the, the old temple complex. But they need that ark to be in the temple, and but they can't even touch it. And they're not going to tell you this, but everybody who has touched it has died, except for Ron Wyatt, because God allowed him to take a sample on the uh, right-hand side of the mercy seat, or it was the left, I can't remember, and take a sample of that blood. And that blood, when they reconstituted that old ancient blood, it was they found that the, the molecules and the, the, the blood was still alive. They did a DNA test of that blood and they found that it had 23 chromosomes for the mother and one chromosome for the father, which should be impossible. It was not human blood. It was not animal blood. It was Jesus blood. Jesus was part human <laughs> from, from Mary. That's why he had 23 chromosomes for the maternal or the mitochondrial part of the chromosomes or whatever. And one chromosome for the father because he was the son of God. And just like King Arthur was the only one that was able to touch and take the sword out of the rock, Messiah ben Joseph will be the only one who will be able to bring the Ark of the Covenant out of its hiding place, where it has been for 25, 26, well, let me think. Yeah, 2,600 years. Anyway, continuing on. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saith thou, thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, so all of these extra laws that were not necessary, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and, and your fathers killed them. Jesus was saying that it was those engraved in lawyer craft that killed the ancient prophets. 
Jesus spoke of the burdens which the lawyers put upon the people as grievous to be borne. Could one of these burdens have been financial? When Christ accused them of not helping people, it was it because of the burdens of debt inflicted upon the society? And it's the same thing with our modern apostate restoration. Like, they have more than enough money. I mean, they want to boast. In, uh, yesterday was General Conference. And they want to boast in General Conference about how they've contributed a hundred, almost a hundred, or I think it was 900 million. Maybe it wasn't. It was a lot of money. But, like, when you consider that they take in just from tithing alone 16 billion, at least it used to be 16 billion, they're not even paying a tenth of that forward to helping the poor and the widows. And they continue to tell people, you know, send in your money. Even if you can't pay for whatever, send in your money. Even if you can't pay for your medicine, send in your tithing. Even if you can't pay for your food, send in your tithing. Even if you don't have a home to live in, send in your... Like, just... This is not the message that they should be preaching to the people. They should be helping people. Particularly members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are faithful. They should be helping people a lot more than they do, but they've got to build these billion-dollar temples and have the finest of everything. And they deceive the people and they say, oh, we're just, we have to have the finest for our God. And it reminds me of the Indiana Jones movie where they're looking for the Holy Grail. And they finally get to the place where all of the grails are and the, the servant, the knight who's been protecting this for thousands of years or whatever, he says, choose. And like the one guy, he goes in and he chooses this beautiful... chalice, this beautiful um, mug, whatever. (laughs) And it wasn't the right one. He died for making the wrong choice. And then Indiana Jones, he goes in there and he like picks the the goblet carved from wood. It wasn't the most precious one in God or in man's eyes, but it was the Holy Grail. And it seems like man wants to have all of these pretty nice things because they're trying to honor God with wealth. I mean, they have pictures of him 
with a, a holding uh, staves of gold and crowns and all these things. But Jesus was a shepherd. He was a carpenter. He possibly was a stonemason. He was not interested in the wealth of the world. And he is not interested in your man-made temples. Especially after the rejection of the temple in Nauvoo, see section 124. And if you want to learn more about that, then that might be something that you can check out later. Jesus spoke of the burdens which the lawyers put upon people grievous to be born Could one of those burdens have been financial? When Christ accused them of not helping people, was it because of the burdens of of the debt inflicted upon society? Another burden is described in these verses, quote, Woe unto you, lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that are entering in he hindered so like basically like if you have a question at church because you've studied the history of the church and you know that 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 there were things taught before that are not taught now or things have changed and you go in and you ask about these things You're asking people that have not entered into understanding these things for one and that you they will hinder you from asking more questions for two. And if you continue to ask questions, you will find yourself disfellowshipped or excommunicated. See, I already knew that the Adam God doctrine was true. Not exactly the way Brigham Young tried to teach it, but I know that the Adam-God doctrine is true. And I'm not going to lie about it. And my stake president asked me about some things, and he asked me about the Adam-God doctrine, and I told him I knew it was true. I also told him about some of my experiences with, uh, with deity, not everything, of course, but some. And uh, first of all, he couldn't answer any of my questions. And then second of all, he didn't care what I had to say. I was a threat to his kingdom. I was a threat to the devil's kingdom because the devil's the one that perverts the truth. And he grew red in the face and very upset. And they wouldn't even allow me to go to my own excommunication. They couldn't answer the questions that I had. They were upset that I was was even asking them. And the only reason I knew these things is because 
When I told God that I would serve him for the rest of my life, that I meant what I said. And then when I got sick on my mission and they had to send me home after 11 months, and it took me a while to recover and they had to release me because I had nowhere to live, that broke me. And I decided at that point that I would serve God and I would be the best missionary that God had that I would teach the people. And as a truck driver, I was able to go throughout North America and to convert hundreds of people into the gospel. Literally, those that I know of. My time on the road as an over-the-road truck driver was solely just study pondering prayers, trying to understand concepts, trying to understand the gospel, trying uh, just studying the old books, studying the new books, like, and it's pretty much been that way my whole trucking career, which has lasted for 27 years, except for the time I was on my mission. So I learn things because I'm trying to be the best servant that God, that I can be for God. And he's blessed me greatly because of, well, because of who I was before I even came to this planet, but because of who I am in the, in the man that tries to study and understand God and the gospel and the things that were revealed to Joseph Smith and tried to be the best missionary that I could. And so I dived in deep. And I learned. And the stake president, who is a businessman, he didn't, and I threatened him because I would ask questions that he couldn't answer, and it made him mad. So instead of bringing himself up to my level, he threw me out. I wonder who the lazy learner was in that situation. Anyway, continuing on. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that were entering in ye hindered. And as he said these things unto the, them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. See, an offender for a word. Luke chapter 11, verse 52 through 54. This is commented on by Matthew Poole in his biblical commentary when he said, quote, Herein the vile genius of these wretched men, the Pharisees and lawyers, was seen. Christ, 
was become their enemy because he told them the truth. His reproofs in order to their reformation and amendments do but fill them with madness against him. Nor are wicked and malicious men at any time fair enemies. They urge him vehemently and provoke him to speak many speak of many things. They lie at the catch and wait for him, hoping that in his many words and answers to their many capricious questions, they should hear something from him upon which they might form an accusation against him to Pilate, the Roman governor. For his blood was that they, they thirsted after. If it were thus done to a green tree, let us not wonder if it so be done also to the dry. The hearts and practices of malicious and wicked men and seceding generations do answer the hearts of persons of their spirits and moral morals in preceding generations. Malice will never regard justice or equity. And that's Matthew Poole's commentary of the Bible, volume 3, page 233. In these short passages from Luke about the Savior's contact with lawyers, Jesus brings out the following evils which, which lawyers were guilty of. Number one, they put burdens or debt upon the people. Number two, they did nothing to lighten their burdens. Number three, they honored dead prophets but the, that their fathers, the lawyers' fathers, had killed them. Number four, they took away the key of knowledge. In the inspired translation it reads, For ye have taken away the key of knowledge of the fullness of the scriptures. In other words, they were opposed to the fullness of the gospel. Number five, they refused to live the fullness of the gospel and tried to prevent others from doing so. Number six, they tried to provoke and urge Jesus to say things to trap him, and they were constantly waiting to find something that could be used against him so they could condemn him by the law. This was a very poor recommendation for lawyers who lived in the religious society of the Jews. They had certainly departed from the true mission in teaching and enforcing the laws of God. The lawyers were persistent in trying to find some flaw, some weakness to prove that Jesus was breaking the law of God as referred to in Luke 11:37-54. James E. Talmadge commented, quote, then by invitation he went to the house of a certain Pharisee to dine. Other Pharisees and also lawyers and scribes were present, and Jesus intentionally omitted the ceremony of the washing of hands, with which all others in the company scrupulously performed before taking their place at the table. The omission caused a murmur of disapproval if not an open expression of fault-finding, 
Jesus utilized the, the occasion by voicing a pugent criticism of Pharisee externalism, which he likened to, to the cleansing of cups and platters on the outside, while the, the inside is fil- left filthy. Fools, he said. Did not he that made that which is without make that which was in within also? In another form we may speak. Did not God who established the outward observance of the law ordain in the inward and spiritual requirements of the gospel also? In response to a question by one of the lawyers, Jesus included them in his sweeping reproof. Pharisees and scribes resented the censure to which they had been subjected and began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and also to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. As our Lord's recorded utterances on this occasion appear also in his final denunciation of Pharisaism later delivered at the temple. Anyway, that was Jesus the Christ by James E. Talmadge, page 437. But Jesus was able to avoid traps set for him by the lawyers and Pharisees until the very last part of his mortal life. Knowing what they thought and how they wanted to catch him, he would set them up by their own words. He knew their pitfalls and that they could fall into, they could fall into their own statements. So sometimes they refused to say anything and the following story illustrates the point. So, and by the way, we're on page 80 if you're following along by reading the book. And we have uh, four more pages to go, so we'll see if we can get there. But let me see here. We're on page 80. Oh, and I've lost my place. Hold on here. Okay, page 80. And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him, and behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And I think dropsy is, uh, I think it's like um, where you get the shakes. Um, Where your hands bend, maybe? I can't remember. Anyway, And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? I just got to see if I can find the the translate or the definition of this word here, because I'm interested. 
it says look up. So we're going to look it up. And it does not give me... See if I can find it again here. Translate? No. Oh, oh well. And Jesus answered, spake unto... Oh, the, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace, and he looked, and he took him, and healed him, and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit, and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? Well, they might have done that, but the Essenes were so strict that they would let the, the animal die before they would pull it out on the Sabbath day. The Essenes were the ones that where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from. And they could not answer him again to these things. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Both Pharisees and Sadducees were guilty of these entrapments. Matthew stated, quote, But when the Pharisees had heard that he, speaking of Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him. That's Matthew chapter 22, 34, and 35. In Matthew chapter 22, it says, He proceeded to ask Jesus about the law, or the Torah, and Jesus explained it in such a way that it could lead the lawyer into a possible trap of his own, asking a question they couldn't answer. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 45. In Matthew 22 also, And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. That's Matthew chapter 22, verse 46. Bruce R. McConkie wrote that it was the nature of most lawyers to be unconverted and disbelieving of miracles, the miracles of Jesus. They struggled with minor points of the law and missed the major messages of the power of God. The proof of Messiahship could not be controverted. Well, that's because, like, the Messiah is the only one that can heal somebody who was born blind, and he did that. Like, there's a bunch of things that Jesus did that show that he was at least a prophet of God, but, but... even the prophets couldn't do certain things, but Jesus did, because he was the Son of God. Let's see here. But God could do, had proved his divine power by turning the living death of palsy into a joyous life of physical health and spiritual cleanliness. Following this display of power, the popularization of the people increased. All were amazed. The doctors of the law were, as such lawyers almost always are, unconvinced, disbelieving, and yet and rebellious. Yet glorified God, saying, We never saw the power of God after this manner. The mortal Messiah by Bruce Hummer Conkey, 
Volume 2, page 52. You know, there is a lawyer that I know, and I'm friends with him. And he kind of reminds me of some of these people that Jesus had to deal with. (coughs) And he knows who he is if he listens to this program. But he stood there when I set his brother apart as a patriarch in the church. And the, the spirit was so strong that as God was speaking to me, this lawyer who was standing there was also hearing in his mind what I was told to say. And just as I would say it, he would hear it in his mind right before I said it. And after the fact, he said something to the effect of, I have not felt that level of priesthood from anybody else. But see, the group that he belongs to has temple endowments and temples and all of these other things. Now, did Jesus have any of those things? No, he did not. Was he still a prophet? Oh, yes, much, much more than a prophet. When Joseph Smith said that God the witness was in a a spiritual state waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same or similar things as Jesus did. Do you think that this man like this this witness of God, this this Holy Ghost come in mortality, would walk in some other way than Jesus walked? Like I'm just talking about outside of the church. Jesus didn't have a synagogue. He didn't have a temple. He taught the people in his way, and he healed people, and he did a bunch of things, right? But Jesus wasn't the president of even his church. That was Peter. Jesus stood above it and outside of it. When Joseph Smith said that the Holy Ghost is in uh, or is still in a spiritual state basically and he said that uh, he will come to do the same or similar things as Jesus did Jesus wasn't the president of the church like Joseph Smith Jesus did not have a temple but he was allowed to go in the temple up to a certain point he was the rightful He was the rightful person that should have been over the temple, but and this individual that I know who's a lawyer who knows a whole lot of things, at least he thinks he does. He thinks he does. He does to a point. But if, if the truth goes against his narrative, he can't hear it.
and he could stand there and and watch and feel the power of God as I was setting apart his brother. And hear all of the warnings that I have given him and others and still not even be baptized. Because he is more interested in being a 70 in his Brighamite group than being part of the remnant and hearing the prophet that God has sent to his people. Which, by the way, is not his leaders. The prophet that was sent to his people is sent out from outside of his people. Just like Jesus was sent to the Jews, being one of them, but not of them. Anyway, continuing on. Throughout his public ministry, Jesus severely criticized and denounced those who would interpret the law for gain, political power, or recognition. See Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7. He condemned the wrong use of the law and strongly supported proper use of it. But unfortunately, it was the convincing and wicked lawyers who ultimately sent him to his death by the misuse of their laws. In the presence of judges, lawyers, Pharisees, priests, Jesus suffered degradation by wicked and unlawful means. They spit on him, scourged him with whips, slapped and beat on him. Such a mockery of justice at the hands of lawyers, politicians, and judges who blacken the name of the law. How ironic that thousands of known criminals are released because of a small technicality, yet Christ was sentenced to death without any justifiable lawful evidence. It is interesting to note some of the many illegal uses of the law against the Savior just before his death. Number one, the arrest was made at night, which is against the law of God. And like when I was excommunicated, they did it completely against the laws that have been set up by the church, right? So these people do these things. But anyway, number two, examination by Annas and Caiaphas was at night. Number three, the hearing was before a sole judge, which is supposed to be a council. Number four, there were no prosecutors or formal indictments. Number five, public discussion was not permitted. Number six, the Sanhedrin convened at night, which is against God's laws, expressly forbidden, but they did it anyway. Number seven, proceeding to the Sanhedrin, proceedings of the Sanhedrin were before the morning sacrifice. We're on page 82 now, if you're following along. Number eight, proceedings were conducted on the eve of Passover, which shouldn't have been done. Number nine, they were conducted and concluded within one day. 
like all of these are breaking the laws of God, but they don't care. You know, they've got to uphold their power structure and they don't care about whether God sends a prophet or not because they are going to do what they want to do and they're not going to be corrected by some God who sends some poor servant's son uh, to warn them and then they'll just kill the son, which is what they did. They were conducted and concluded within one day. Number 10, they were founded upon uncorroborated confessions. Number 11, there was self-confession without witnesses to corroborate. Number 12, Christ had no legal defense. Number 13, condemnation was pronounced in a place forbidden by law. Number 12, the the high priest rent his clothes. Number 15, the balloting was irregular. Number 16, enemies were not to occupy the Sanhedrin council. So that was against the law too, but they don't care. Number 17, a man with enmity could not be a judge. And we can see that when the high priest rent his clothes, that he wasn't meant to be a judge over that. Because he was a judge, mental judge, unrighteously judging. (laughs) Merits of defense were not considered. That's 18. 19. There was abuse and torture before the conviction. And number 20, Christ was condemned of a capital crime without sufficient proof. The legal case against Christ was a corrupt display of extreme injustice. It couldn't have been much worse. The pages of human history present no stronger case of judicial murder than the trial and crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth for the simple reason that all forms of law were outraged and trampled underfoot and the proceedings instituted against him. End quote, and that's from a book called The Hebrew Trial by Chandler, Volume 1, page 216. Disobedience to the law, especially by those who have taken an oath to support it, is a very serious transgression. One wonders to what extent such a crime is forgivable. For when Jesus was being crucified on the cross, he asked his Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. That's Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Forgive whom? Joseph Smith clarified in one page, 83 if you're reading along then said Jesus father forgive them for they know not what they do meaning the soldiers who crucified him and they they parted his raiment and cast lots and that's Luke chapter 23 verse 35 Jesus is not asking his father to forgive the forgive the lawyers judges Pharisees etc who had deceived him and clamored for his blood. Rather, he was praying for the Roman soldiers who were assigned to carry out the crucifixion as part of their job. 
It was personally destructive for people in the higher seats to turn against the teachings and miracles of Jesus because in so doing, they turned against Christ. When the Jewish people who wanted Christ to be crucified came before Pilate, they declared, His blood be on us and on our children, Matthew 27:25, and so it has been for 2,000 years that they have been they have been scourged, hated, driven, and killed. The lawyers of that day play, played an important and in influential role in bringing such a curse upon an entire nation of people. And uh, the next time we come in, we'll be starting on page 84, and we'll be reading the section called Lawyers in the Book, Lawyercraft in the Book of Mormon. Thank you for listening to the program. Okay, so the guest call in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. There is a chat room available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Redemption Radio Network. Um, I don't have any callers right now. Um, you know, I kind of feel like like, a lot of people were upset when I stopped doing the program, but it makes me feel like nobody really cares or listens when they don't participate by even asking questions on in the chat room or, uh, you know, part of the guest call-in line that I've provided that I pay for. And um, I was going to quit this whole thing. Hey, I am on the sh- on the program right now. I'm sitting at the table with my family. We're having dinner, but that's okay. Anyway, I'm getting ready to go to work. Anyway, but um, I saw I saw a um, I saw that I was on a top 25 list of Mormon podcasts. And it turned out that I was ranked fifth of the, in the top 25. I didn't even think I would get in the top 25. So I was pretty surprised by that. So I thought, well, maybe I'll start trying to do them again. So this week, um, I took Saturday night and Sunday night off. And today, during the day before my three-year-old son woke up, I was able to record the reading portion of two programs. So the next program is going to be for uh, Lawyer Craft in the Book of Mormon, which will air at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, October 5th. And then um, I was able to finish another recording for the reading portion of the program, which uh, is about lawyer craft in the latter days, and it has a lot to do with uh, Brigham, uh, not Brigham Young, but Joseph Smith. And I was able to finish that today as well, and that will air 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on October 7th, which is a Friday. 
so uh, we did, you know, I did three programs this week. I'm not going to do five a week because I just I'm burned out anyway. So um, the the next two programs will be on Wednesday, the uh, at 6 p.m., which is October 5th, and Friday, October 7th, at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, and we can go till eight. Uh, however, if uh, it's like tonight and I don't see anybody in the studio or in the chat room asking me questions or wanting to make statements and ask whatever, uh, I will end them early because uh, I don't need to be in this if nobody's going to, uh, you know, ask me questions. I was surprised that I got fifth uh, in the top 25 for Mormon podcasts, I actually beat out, and I don't even know how I did this, but a bunch of people that I don't think I should have beaten out. But um, I beat out Radio Free Mormon. Of course, they're not really faith-promoting. This is more of a faith-promoting, but this has to deal with the deeper doctrines and the old-school doctrines uh, of the Brighamite LDS Church. Of course, everyone who knows me knows that I am not a Brighamite Mormon, but I do know that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and um, I still talk about these uh, these things. So, um, anyway, uh, I guess we don't have any callers, and uh, I'll just refresh my screen real quick. I actually even started... Um, doing the uh, my shift from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m. in the morning just so I could uh, do these programs. But uh, it's uh, fine if nobody calls in. So anyway, uh, I've been doing this. If you don't know who I am, this is the first time you've ever heard me. I have been doing um, podcasting uh, on my own since January of 2014. Um, I started off with The Kingdom of God or Nothing, which is a line by uh, John Taylor. And uh, and then I revamped and went to a program called Fundamentally Mormon in 2016, or maybe it was 2018. And then I renamed the program Man's Redemption Radio Network uh, just this year, I think I think it was this year. So uh, I'm interesting interested in talking about all things Mormon, and uh, I do proclaim to be a prophet. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. Um, I guess I can give you one of my uh, translations here. It's actually not my translation, but uh, somebody that I know. And uh, this is uh, the book of Zobelmas. So I'll just mute myself, and uh, you guys can listen to that if you choose to. Thank you for listening to the program. The book of Zobelmas, chapter 1, verse 1. 
Gedaliah reigned over the remnant of Judah, and at about that time there was a man named Zobamus. A man of God, he did sit under a tree and pray in the desert, and ate no bread and drank no wine, but ate only that which was around him, and saw the face of no man, so that he could pray continually. Verse 2. This man saith unto God, Father of lights, show my feet unto the narrow path of life. I have been called because of my desires to serve thee, but now elect me into eternal life, that I might be blessed with the oil of gladness. Call me thy friend, bring me close unto thy gate, that I may see the light of thy kingdom. Verse 3. Zobamus looked up, and his eyes were growing dim, so that he knew not if he looked at the sun or at a man. But he believed, and saith, I am now, I am here. Now behold, the messenger of the Lord had been sent, and did say unto him, Zobamus, man of God, Behold, I am sent by the Most High, the God of all, to tell thee that thou shalt thou shalt journey to the blessed, but shall not dwell with them. Thy, thy eyes are dim, but shall be enlightened by the Son of the living God. Verse 4. Exalt not thy heart, saying, Forty years have I not eaten bread. For the word of God is more than bread, and the Spirit of God is more than wine. For wine is revelation, and bread is the word of God. Say not, Woe, for not seeing the face of man. Behold, the face of the great king is nigh at hand, and his angels are with thee. Zobamus saith, I know the Lord can do whatsoever he will. The angel said to him, Know this also, that thou art not worthy of one of the delights of those unto whom you go, but arise and set out, because God has accounted thy faith as righteousness. Chapter 2, verse 1. I, Zobamus, rose upon my feet, and issuing my, from my cave, with God leading me, I set out, not knowing which way I went. The heat of the desert constantly passed before me, and cool, the cool of the night as my cave comforted me forty nights, and the heat vexed me forty days. Now when the angel of the Lord did say unto me that he would lead me unto a new land, I suppose he meant in death, wherefore my spirit grew faint, and my body failed. And being exhausted, I sat down and continued to pray in that place for three days, saying, Why do I remain? Verse 2. Now a, a camel did walk out of the waver, waving desert and did place its knees on the ground, and I wrapped my arm around his neck to try and arise to my feet. Wherefore he let me upon his back and lifted me, and I rode, as it were, across endless white sands, until we came unto a place with much howling and gnashing of teeth. And I did perceive, as it were, the ground covered in poisonous snakes and scorpions, 
Wherefore, becoming afraid, I did pray unto the Lord, saying, Deliver me. There came over that whole plain a great earthquake with much noise, and the wind did blow as it were a storm, and it lifted me from the earth and exalted me on its wings. Yea, and I was taken up into the clouds. Verse 3. And I was praying and journeying, saying, Why did you not take me up upon the wings of the wind before? Whereupon the Lord rebuked me, saying, Behold, each part of the journey has become more fantastic because of the weakness of thy faith. Now the wind did softly set me down finally upon solid ground, and I did look around and did see a river. And the Lord did tell me that the name of this river was Umulis. Now I did go across the river when someone cried out as if the, the water saying, Zobamus, man of God, ye cannot pass through me, for no man could divide my waters. But look upon the waters and behold heaven. Verse 4. Now I did look upon and saw a wall of cloud stretching from the waters to the heaven. And the cloud did say unto me, Zobelmus, man of God, through me no devil in the form of a bird passes out of this world, nor breath of wind, nor the devil dressed as the sun itself, nor can the tempter in this world pass through me. I am the edge of this world, the protector of thunder and the servant of God. Chapter 3, verse 1. I, Zobelmus, was astonished at these words, and at the voice that spake these things unto me. Now as I did pray, behold, two trees sprang up out of the earth, as if an, in an instant, fair and beautiful, and laden with fragrant fruits. Verse 2. And the tree upon my side upon my side of the river did bend down and did receive me and then did straighten again bringing me high into the air it then leaned over in the middle of the river then the other tree bent over and met me and received me in its branches and bending down set me on the ground then behold both trees were raised up and set away from the river on the other side verse 3 now I did say O God, mighty is thy hand. For these wonders which I have seen are strange and amazing, and I know not in which land I am. For ye have brought me out of the world to a strange place. Ye are truly the God of worlds, and thy hand is unseen. Verse 4. Now I did rest in that place for a time, and did go forth whither I knew not. And that place was filled with much fragrance, for there was no mountain on either hand, but the place was level and flowery as an endless field of flowers crowned with garlands, and all the land was beautiful beyond description. Wherefore I did smell this new world, and I did walk as a pilgrim wandering. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And as I did walk, I did see in the land and the field a naked man sitting, and I said to myself, Surely this is not the tempter, for I did remember the, word, the words of the cloud that said unto me, 
nor can the tempter of this world pass through me. Now take, taking courage, I did say unto him, Hell, brother. Now he answered, saying, The grace of my God be with thee. Verse 2. I did say, Tell me, I pray you, man of God, who art thou? And he answered and did say unto me, Who art thou, rather? Now I did tell him all concerning myself, and that I had prayed unto God, and that he had brought me into this place. Verse 3. Now he did say, Behold, I also know that thou art a man of God, for if ye were not, ye could not have passed through the, through the cloud and the river and the air. For the breadth of the river is about of the river was about thirty thousand paces, and the cloud reaches up to heaven and the depth of the river to the abyss. Verse four. Now behold, ye must have been anointed by God to obtain this place. Wherefore, I, Zobelmus, did say, Behold, I have not been anointed by God, nor by one of his servants. Whereupon the man did say, Then ye must have, also, then ye must have been elected. And now I did say, I know not, but I was praying concerning it when I left mine abode. Whereupon the man did say, Before coming into this world, did you say that you would rejoice when it ended? Isobelmus did say, I know not, I remember not. Now the man did say, Blessed art thou, for ye are elect, ye would not be among, or ye would not be among the elect. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now having ended this discourse, we did sit for a time, meditating upon what had been said. And then the man did speak again, saying, Thou hast thou come hither out of the vanity of the world. And I did say unto him, I know not. Now he did say unto me, If ye despise the vanity, and wish continually for the unity with God, and the saints in shining robes of glory, then ye have come out of the vanity, verse 2. I said to him, Speaking concerning shining robes, why art thou naked? Now he did say, How knowest that I am naked? Thou wearest skins of the cattle of the earth, that, de that decay together with the bo thy body. But look upon the height of the heaven, and behold of what nature my clothing is. I did look upon, look up into the heavens and saw his face as the face of an angel in his clothing as lightning, which passed, passes from the west to the east. Now did, my heart did jump for an instant, thinking that he may be the son of the living God, even the father of our race the Father of the Son of God, to come. Verse 3. Now I did tremble and fell upon the ground at the thought of giving me his hand. He raised me up, saying, Arise, I also am one of the elders, or one of the blessed. Come with me that I, lead thee, that I may lead thee to the elders. Now while holding the hand hands, 
he did walk with me and led me towards a certain crowd. And there were in that crowd elders like sons of God. Young men were standing beside the elder, elder, elders. We came near unto them, and they said, This man has come hither out of the vanity of the world. Come, let us beseech the Lord that he will re- reveal to us this mystery. The young men did ask, Is the end come? Whereupon the elders did say, Surely the end is not at hand. It is just a man come hither from the vanity of the world. Verse 4. Now after these, now after this they arose and stood in a circle, making signs and beseeching the Lord with one accord concerning me. And behold, two angels came down from heaven and saith, Fear not this man, for God hath sent him that he may remain seven days and learn thy ways that he might understand the way of life and then he shall go forth and depart back into his own place. Now the angels, after delivering their message to descend back into the heavens before mine very eyes, Zobelmus, the book of Zobelmus, chapter 6, verse 1. Now the elders of the blessed did give me over to an attendant, saying, Keep him for seven days. Now the attendant did lead me unto his cave under a tree, and he did tell me that this tree would provide us food. Now from the sixth hour, even until the sixth hour came, Now from the sixth hour, even until the sixth hour came, we ate and prayed. For out of the tree came thick water, out of the root of the tree sweeter than honey. And we drank our fill, and again the water was plugged up, so that it would stay in its place. Verse 2. All the country of those there that heard of me came hither, for a man that came out of the vanity of the world was a curiosity and all of the country was stirred up and they came to see me because it seemed strange to them for usually righteous men lived and died in the world of vanity and then went up to higher worlds but God saw fit to bring me into this hidden land for a purpose now they did ask me many things concerning the world of vanity and I was answering them all day, insomuch that it became faint, and besought the man of God that that served me, saying, I beseech thee, brother, if any come to see me, tell them he is not here, so that I may rest a little. 
verse 3. And the man of God cried out, saying, Woe is me, that the story of Adam is summed up in me, for Satan deceived him through Eve. And this man, by his flattery, desires to make me a liar while he is here. Take me away from hence, for I shall flee from this place. For behold, he wishes to sow in me seeds of the world of vanity. Now all the multitude and the elders rose up against me, saying, Depart from us, man of the earth. We know not why thou hast come unto us. Verse 4. Now I did lament with a great lamentation, and my senses left me, and I cried out to the elders, saying, Forgive me, my lords. And the elders still stilled the people so that I, so that all was quiet. Then I related to them all from the beginning till that time and said, I besought the Lord to come unto you, and he deems me worthy. Then the elder saith, And now what wilt thou that we should do unto thee? And I did say unto them, Behold, I only desire to learn from you thy way of life. Chapter 7 of the Book of Zobelmas verse 1. And now it came to pass that they did greatly rejoice at my words, and taking up tablets of green stone, they wrote on them with their chisels, Thus, hear ye, sons of men, hear ye of our own who are become blessed, that we are also of you. For when the prophet Jeremiah proclaimed that the city of Jerusalem should be delivered into the hands of the destroyer. He rent his garments and put on sackcloth upon his loins and sprinkled dust upon his head and took earth upon his bed and told all people to turn from their wicked ways. Verse 2. And now our father Rahab son of Aminadab, of the school of the prophets, did hear him and say unto us, Ye sons and daughters of Rahab, hearken unto your father, and, and put off your garments from your body, and drink no vessel of wine, and, neat, and eat no bread from the fire, and drink not strong drink and honey, and tell the Lord hear thy prayer. Verse 3. And we said, All that he has commanded us we shall do and hearken to. So we cast off our clothing from our bodies, and we ate no bread from the fire, and drank no vessel of wine nor honey, nor any strong drink. And we lamented with a great lamentation and besought the Lord. And he heard our prayers and turned away his anger from the city of Jerusalem. And there came to the city of Jerusalem mercy from the Lord, and he pitied its, its people and turned away his deadly anger. Verse 4. And after these things the king of the city of Jerusalem died, and there arose another king. And all of the people gathered to him and informed him concerning us, and said, There are certainly... There are certain of thy people who have changed their way from from us. Where the where 
Therefore, the king summoned those who had reported this and asked them why he had done this, and they believed it was an apostasy upon the ways of the heathen. Wherefore, the king sent for us and asked, Who are ye, and of what worship do you perform, and of what country does it originate? And we did say, We are the sons of thy servant Rahab, the son of Abinadab. And when Jeremiah the prophet preached in the days of thy, thy father the king, he proclaimed death to the city of Jerusalem. Yet three days and all the city shall be put to death. Chapter 8 of the book of Zobamus, verse 1. And the king thy father, hearing this report, repented of his sin and issued a command to all of the people to turn aside from their wicked ways. And our father, thy, thy servant, hearing it, charged us, saying, Drink no vessel of wine and eat no bread from the fire until the Lord shall hear thy prayer. And we hearkened to the commandment of our father, and we made naked our bodies, and we drank no wine, and we ate no bread. And we prayed to the Lord for the city of Jerusalem, and the Lord pitied, pitied, his, ang pitied his anger, I'm sorry, and the Lord pitied his people and turned away his anger, and we saw it, and our souls rejoiced, and we said, it is good for us to live in such a way and to perform our rights so. Verse 2. Now the king said unto us, Ye have done well. Now therefore mingle with my people, and eat bread and drink wine, and glorify your God, and ye shall be serving God and the king. But we did say, We rebel not against our ways. We will not rebel against our ways and against God. Then the king was enraged and set us in prison, and we were in prison that whole night, even until a light shone in the building, and an angel broke the prison gate, and did anoint and place his hands upon our heads, saying, My fellow servants, ye are sealed up and anointed kings and priests to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever, and until the last time I shall, and until the last time shall bring thee into a land where ye can live as ye desire night and day until the end comes. Verse 3. Now the angel did place his hands upon us again, and we found ourselves standing by the water of the river. Now the angel did say unto us, Whithersoever the water goes, ye go there also. Wherefore we traveled with the water and the angel for the space of many days. Then therefore he, when therefore he had brought us unto this place, the river was dried up and the water was swallowed up by the abyss. And he made a wall round about this country and there came a, a wall of cloud and made a shadow above the water. Wherefore, he did not scatter us like unto the other tribes, but did lead us into this country of life and gave it to us as an eternal 
the inheritance until the end of the world comes. Hear ye, sons of men, hear the ways of the way of life of the blessed. For God placed us in this land, for we are holy, but not immortal, like unto those who are taken up. And the earth produces most fragrant fruit, and out of the trunks of the trees comes water sweeter than honey. And these are our food and our drink, wherefore we can live upon the land without toil, toiling, but can spend our time in prayer unto the God of Israel. We pray night and day, and this is all our occupation, for a sacrifice is for to sacrifice all is to gain eternal life. Chapter 9 of the Book of Zobelness, verse 1. Hear ye, sons of men, with us there is no vine, nor plowed field, nor works of wood or iron, nor have we any house or building, nor fire, nor sword, nor iron wrought or unwrought, nor silver nor gold, nor air too heavy or too keen. Neither do any of us take to themselves wives except for so long as to beget a male and a female, and after they have produced two children, one of each gender, they withdraw themselves again to the other side of the congregation. Wherefore we withdraw from each other and continue and continue in chastity, except to pray in a circle or to have children. We therefore are in perfect order and express our love unto God, unto the gods of Israel and of heaven continually, without distraction. Verse two. There is also no count of time, neither weeks, nor months, nor years. For all our day is one day, and our caves are the leaves of a tree, and this is our couch under the trees. But we are not naked of body, as ye wrongfully imagine, for we have the garments of eternal life, and the robes of the priesthood made of light, and are not ashamed of each other. Verse 3. At the sixth hour of each day we eat, and for the fruit of the tree falls of itself at the sixth hour, and we eat and drink our fill, and again the water is stopped up. We also know you who are there in the world, who are in sins, in your works, every day the angels of the Lord come and tell them to us in the number of your years. But we pray for you to the Lord, because we also are of you and of your race, except God has chosen us and has set us in this place without sin. And the angels of God dwell with us every day and tell us the things concerning you. And we rejoice with the angels over the works of the just, but over the works of the unjust we mourn and lament praying to the Lord that he may cease his anger and spare your offense. Verse 4. 
Upon the sixth hour I did ask concerning the two trees that brought me hither, and they did say, They are alike in type of the two trees of life, which pour golden oil into the two golden candlesticks. Whereupon I did say, Tell me concerning these trees. And they did say, There is a Messiah of Judah and a Messiah of Ephraim. And this is the meaning of it. Ye have Passover to look forward unto the Messiah of Judah, and ye have tabernacles to look forward unto the Messiah of Joseph. We know that Passover is near, because the water sweeter than honey will turn red. And we know that tabernacles is near, because it shall shine with gold. We keep not track of time, but when this doth happen, we do praise the true and living God for sending the salvation of his people Israel. Our water also does not turn a color for weeks, but in the height of thy, of thy winter it doth ter- turn green like unto the leaves of those trees, ever living to praise God. Chapter 10 Verse 1 Now I did say with the blessed for the space of a week, and I did stay with the blessed for the space of a week, and they did teach me many more things which I shall not record. But I will show, but I will record a few more things that I did learn from them. I did ask them to give me wisdom concerning this Messiah of Judah, whereupon they did say unto me, Know ye not the covenants of the Lord, that that though this body turn to dust, yet ye shall see the see God in the flesh? Rejoice therefore because of the covenants of thy fathers, for they took God the Father as their law, and in return their elections were made sure. And this Christ of Judah, or this Messiah of Judah, shall bring to pass these promises unto you. Therefore, lift up your heart and rejoice. When ye enter the world of spirits, ye shall see the death, see that death is a mercy, and the resurrection made sure. Verse 2. Now, now ye shall be clothed with corruption, and your knowledge be made perfect, either a knowledge of your guilt or a knowledge of your cleanliness, and a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of godliness. For those who look upon this Messiah and despise this world and look for the kingdom within, they are they who shall inherit eternal life, and the kingdom prepared for them from before the foundation of the world. But behold, this time shall come, but before this time shall come, The second tree, even the witness of the resurrection of the Father and the Son. Verse 3. The second tree, which pours down golden oil, shall be sent to gather the elect before the end comes. And he shall be despised and rejected. But he is a Christ, or an anointed one. And he shall rise before the eyes of the world. For the works of God cannot be frustrated, but shall roll forth until the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. 
Their father is Michael, the Ancient of Days, he who sits in flaming glory when his children shall come before him to make an account. And in that day all shall see that he is their father in heaven, and the father of the Messiahs whom they rejected. Verse 4. From the days of Adam until now, Adam and his brethren and companions, even the council of the gods or the Elohim, have looked over this world and wept, for the devil hath a chain in his hand, even the sealing power of the devil, and he holdeth this world in bondage. But behold, the seventh angel shall come holding his own chain, and the chain of the fathers of Adam and his companions to Messiah ben Joseph. And in that, in that day, those whose hearts are turned to their fathers and make a covenant with God in the name of Christ shall be delivered by the mighty hand of the second tree and shall be raised up unto eternal life by the first tree. For the mercy of God is eternal and his word is everlasting. Book of Zobelmus, chapter 11, verse 1. Now behold, we did condescend into the world as the sons of God, so that there could be opposition in all things, even so that we could struggle and know the good from the bad and become the victors. Adam fell that we might have joy and take upon ourselves the name of Adam and of Christ, and become heirs of the kingdom. Behold, we in this place shall live for a thousand years as the patriarchs of old, because we are upon holy ground and pray in the true order of prayer daily, and praise God without ceasing. Now behold, there be holy temples in the last days, and if those who possess these temples would stay there continually, eating little and performing the work of prayer without ceasing, doing their ordinances for the living and the dead, they would live unto the age of the patriarchs. For to live unto the age of a tree is a way of life only. But behold, the falsely anointed shall take control of these places and force the saints into the wilderness. In this world, the dragon always pursues the daughter of Zion and her children. Verse 3. And in that day they shall have the philosophies of men mingled with scripture, and yet they will know it not. And they shall hold the saying sacred and not look introspectively to see that they are the preachers of the devil. Oh, the foolishness of man and his frailties. When he is learned, he thinks he is wise, but his knowledge is death, and he knoweth not the power of God and his fellows and their city, the new Jerusalem. Verse 4. The way of eternal life is straight and narrow is a straight and narrow path, and few there be that find it, and those who follow this light and his glory through Though they have been wounded, shall shall they see straight? Shall they see a straight course before him? 
And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employ no servant there. He that knocketh with his prayers, and he that seeketh out knowledge, and he that humble himself, despises this world before God. It is he unto whom the heavens will be opened, and unto him that God will teach knowledge, and unto him that shall see the Son of the living God. Book of Zobamus, chapter 12, verse 1. O man, look forward to the day of your salvation, when justice shall be done unto the righteous, and shrink not in fear. For ye should pray, Father, bring the coming of thy, thy kingdom, and even if I should be burned for looking beyond the mark, bring thy kingdom, and let justice be done. For I know that ye are just, and that I would rather thy kingdom come than to live. For he who is willing to lose his life for the kingdom shall find it. What earthly power would forgive those who ask for it? What earthly power is eternal and un- unchanging? Which earthly power would give the wicked a degree of a degree of glory when they are cleansed? Which earthly earthly power can raise thee into immortality and eternal life, worlds without end? I say unto thee, none. No earthly power would give all men immortality and eternal life unto the righteous. No earthly power would grant a decree of a degree of glory unto all men. No earthly power is unchanging, nor are their words eternal. And in fine, no earthly power would forgive those who who ask, having, having become a new creature by the power of the atonement of the Holy One of Israel. Verse 2. Therefore praise God and the Eternal Father, for he giveth eternal lives unto those who ask him. And all shall be partakers of his mercy, worlds without end. For every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that the two trees are the anointed, and are called to test the righteous to see who shall keep the commandments of the Lord their God. For they shall, but they shall stiffen their hearts, and I'm sorry, but they shall stiffen their necks against him who is called of God, even if they know it because they esteem this body and this life above the kingdom. But behold, this life is a test, and we have already supported the kingdom before this world was. But when, the, but when this world is rolled up as a scroll, we shall see that we have been foolish when we esteemed ourselves to be wise. Verse 3. And now at the sixth hour I did drink, and then an angel of the Lord did appear before us and did say, Now is the time of thy return, Sobelmus. And he did touch me, and I did awake as if it was from a dream. Now I was upon a bed in a tent, and a man named Aminadab did say unto me, Ye were in the desert asleep, and I did bring thee here to preserve thy life. Whereupon I did speak unto Aminadab concerning all those things which had happened unto me. And he did to say, Behold, 
blessed am I for my world, for my whole house. Behold, blessed am I and my whole house for saving a prophet, that I might hear the mysteries of God and be saved. Verse 4. We did pray continually, and it came to pass that a spring did come out of the rocks in the place, and an oasis did appear, and locusts did come, and we did eat the locusts so that we could continue to pray unto God, eating no bread and drinking no wine, for the word of God was our bread, and the revelation and revelation our wine. Now we did in fine began to try and live as those in the other worlds did live and we did pray in the true order of prayer and we did take off our garments and did shake them before God and did wash one another's feet witnessing that we were queen of the blood and sins of our generation wherefore we were clothed in the garments of light anointed with oil as from heaven I did have six children for Abinadab to give my given to my the hand of his two of two of his concubines, so that we could in fine begin to live as the blessed did live, and raise our righteous seed, so that our order would flow as pure water from the spring and fill the world with righteousness. Verse five. Now I did know. Now I did know that the time of redemption had not yet come, for the earth had not yet endured its probationary state. But I did know that we might also be taken up as the elect in Zion, or as the blessed across the river, which I saw. Wherefore, repent and be baptized in all that that which is good, having a broken heart, and a contrite spirit, becoming a new being in Christ. And accept those who come unto you with the words of life, who cry before you because of the sins of the world, for by their love of truth, their sorrow for the sins of the world, you may know they are mine, saith the Lord. Amen. So for by their love of truth and their sorrow for the sins of the world, ye may know they are mine, saith the Lord. Amen. So that was the book of Zobelness. Thank you for listening. All right, well, that's the program for today. Uh, like I said, when we come back on Wednesday at 6 p.m., we'll be reading about lawyer craft in the Book of Mormon. It has a lot to do with an Amulek and also some to do with uh, Third Nephi. And uh, it was a... I like the read. I mean, I enjoy reading these things. So um, on Friday, October 7th, I will be on at 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And we will be covering... Uh, lawyer craft in the last dispensation. So anyway, thank you for listening to the program. Please share this program. Um, 
help me get this uh, information out there. You might not believe everything I say, but I think that the information is good. And I come at it in a, with a different perspective maybe than some people, but I think it's good to hear people's perspectives, which is why I do have an open line for the radio show, which is 917-889-8827 uh, for after the reading. <clears throat> but if I see that you have called in during the reading, um, I will bring you into the uh, guest call-in line off-air, and you can ask me your questions and your comments off-air as well. But that's a wrap for tonight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless, and goodbye. What's that, Dad? Mm-hmm.